welcome to episode 129 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording August the 29th, 2021. My name is Eric, host of the show. As a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events and started a small preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. Evening, folks. I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, soon-to-be ham radio operator, and just general overall handyman. So I haven't written your test yet, huh? No. Nope. <laughs> I figured um, I'll string it out as long as I can, let you, let you uh, keep hanging there. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, better Andrew, uh, sports shooter, computer geek, uh, and I thought I was decently prepared until I started listening to the podcast. <laughs> I'm Steve. I'm uh, in the interior of BC, uh, mechanic, fabricator, ham radio operator, and many other time and money consuming hobbies. Perfect. I'm not alone in the ham operating tonight. I like it. Hey, you call sign. <laughs> oh, even better. <laughs> I'm jealous. Uh, if you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, you can buy us some swag. Uh, we've got the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the Tactical Velcro patch at uh, prepperpodcast.ca. All the proceeds help keep lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes, like us on Facebook, submit a review on iTunes. Uh, we also want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's a topic you just want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. I think we got Alan back. Yeah, the uh, lightning just started here, and so my internet is uh, absolutely terrible, but um, I'll do what I can. Welcome back. <laughs> We've got some creative content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles. Thanks will let you know what we've done for our preparedness uh, since the last episode, and then we're going to get into the main topic, 3D printing for preppers and whatever else you want. So let's move into the news. <clears throat> Hurricane Ida is intensifying as it gets closer to landfall. Things are getting real on the Gulf Coast there, so I hope everybody stays safe. And uh, we did an episode with some experienced hurricane people um, way back in the day. I think it was in the first 20 episodes or so. Um, so go give that a check. I've got a news article here from the ARRL uh, just in regards to uh, Hurricane Watch Net uh, activates for the catastrophic Hurricane Ida. So uh, it's pretty standard for them to set nets up so they can relay information around on uh, ham radio communications. So I figured I'd throw the article up there for anybody uh, interested in, in reading about it. And I've got a couple articles. The first one I pulled off of the Financial Post, and it just basically uh, says how much lumber prices have fallen since uh, they went to their peak. They're down about uh, 70%. And one of the uh, lumber companies is actually cutting back production because they figured that they were going to rape and pillage us and they made a whole bunch of lumber and then they couldn't sell it because people were like, yeah, we're not paying that for it. So now they has a, now there's a glut obviously in the market. And so uh, the prices are finally and slowly coming back down. Again, they've been down about 70%. Just in time uh, for my renos to start. Perfect. Yeah. I don't know yeah. where, but it's still bloody expensive where I am. Yeah, I haven't priced any out. I just, uh, and then the second one I had came from Bloomberg News and it just can, it's continuing on about supply chain issues and how um, they think it's going to get worse. They, they said the world economy supply chain uh, problems keep getting worse. They're, you know, there's a, a shortage of shipping containers and the cost to 
ship items from one port to another has gone up anywhere from six to ten times. Um, so even if they can get a shipping container, it's going to cost them a fortune to get whatever they need over there if they're even able to make it. So looks like nobody's going to be driving a Ford for a while. That's not too bad. I feel the, the Ministry of there. Plenty is doing its job perfectly. <laughs> I've got one from the CTV, but you can find it pretty much everywhere. Uh, some of the liberal rallies have been canceled due to the protesting that's going on. Uh, there's one on Friday that was in Bolton. They had to uh, switch locations last or not last minute, like in the middle of it um, and go to a safer area because they claimed that they couldn't keep everyone safe that was there. Uh, and then another one happened today in Cambridge, I believe it was. Um, yeah. And sort of the same thing. So it sort of gives me some hope that he's not going to win. Almost sounds like people are upset with Trudeau. That's weird. Weird. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're moving over to later for preps. <laughs> so I've started work on uh, my large Faraday box. I've ground down the uh, the seal around the top. I'm just gonna try and figure out a way to uh, how I'm gonna seal it. It's there's not a lot of gap in there for uh, gaskets or anything, so I'll figure something out. And I just uh, tested, made sure my generator would uh, start and run today for the uh, potential serious storms that are on the way. I'm sure we can figure something out for that, Jeff. Yeah. It'll take a couple beers, but we'll figure a gasket out. Oh, I'm good with that. <laughs> uh, for myself, um, built a new shelf for my DMR, my two meter and 70 centimeter radios. So there's some leftover lumber here from uh, the ongoing construction project. So I figured I'd take advantage of it and try to clean, uh, clean up the shack a little bit here and, make it a little bit prettier at least. Uh, so the two radios are down here underneath my monitors now, nice and close instead of staggered all over the place. So they have a more permanent location. Uh, also met up with uh, Scott and then, uh, you know, talked all things preparedness because what else do preppers do when they meet up? Uh, and also met up with uh, one of the local ham operators here and saw another one of the um, repeater locations that uh, I haven't seen yet. So I was able to check that out and see what it's all about and the one I was hopefully going to be uh, looking after in the, the near future, but apparently it's being decommissioned, so that sucks. But at least I got to see it before they take it apart. Will there will there be parts and equipment available? There will be, which is convenient. There you go. The problem is finding a new location for said repeater system. So mm. gotta find gotta find somewhere. That's that's generally less of an issue than it is getting the equipment, right? Or less of a it's it's True. Easier, easier to find the location than is the, the, the stuff. True. Yeah, it's just uh yeah, it's a matter of finding someone that wants to house our stuff. There are there are a lot of fire halls, especially in the north, that have repeaters on them. Just throwing that out there. Good point. Well, I'm gonna have to look into that. And that's it for me. Firefighters are nicer about that. True. Uh I did um some, uh, some meal prep for the week, mostly focused on construction still. My garage now has walls and half of its roof or half of the structure for the roof. So everything's getting, ex everything's getting excited. Um, lots of time in the, uh, lots of time with the dumbbells and the, and the rowing machine. And that's about it for me. Nothing exciting this week. Everything up until you. now counts of what I've done, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
more food storage just setting up some extra shelves uh i got a larger freezer that was a mission to get down the stairs so thank you for og andrew for helping me get down and you know into the house with the gigantic freezer and small stairs um and getting the baby room and everything set up for oncoming baby and then reorganizing everything because now i lost my office that i had everything in so you know it's great and then uh got a bigger reloading setup and continuing to make more mead so nice priorities are in check yeah i would say they are well, we recently finished our uh, home gym. We got a big uh, Smith machine squat rack, all in one unit. Um, so that's a long time coming, but we got her. Because um, nice. one of the most important things about prepping is taking care of your body. So off we go. Nice. All right. We'll move into the new segment. Alan. Talking about our wide area mag. And this week, uh, so we love learning new things. That's kind of why we're here. And there's some very intelligent people around, and Eric as well. Sorry, that was supposed <laughs> to be Ian. Damn. Oh, okay, so where is the um, kick out of here button? <laughs> um, well, we have some very intelligent people around. There is always something we don't know. Um, so this week, we want to know about beef jerky. So we want to talk about dehydrate, food dehydration and, and, and that type of preservation. So if you know something about this, we want to hear from you. Feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, whether it's something that you want to come on the air and talk about or whether you just want to send us some information that we can share with the rest of uh, the listening audience. That would be great. That's, again, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Let's talk beef jerky. Awesome. All right, let's move into the main topic of 3D printing. We've got two experts on tonight to talk about it. I wouldn't consider myself an expert. <laughs> so but, you put a whole bunch of questions. You put a whole ton of questions in here and then didn't didn't bother showing up. Um, yeah, this is the slacker. second uh, second week in a row. Might I point out? It might have to do with something yeah. about us firing him, right? But you know. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know about that guy. Sometimes. Yeah. So either. to the to the experts. How does 3D printing actually work? Well, um, the short story is it grabs a roll of plastic or liquid resin. Uh, there's two different types of printers and melts it down and extrudes it out into the shape you want. Uh, the long story is that it grabs some of the filament, as you can see on the video here. Sorry, it's a little dark. Uh, it's just the roll of wound out uh, plastic, sort of like you find a cable of wires and it pushes it through a heated extruder um, average temperature of around 200 degrees Celsius uh, anywhere to up to 300 depending on what your material you're dealing with and it's on a three axis basically the same thing as like a CNC machine uh, you've got a build plate that you know slides forward and back and then you've got um, one extruder arm that moves left and right and then also up and down um, so it extrudes it into whatever shape that you want it in tiny um, about half a millimeter is the average 0.4 millimeters is about the average uh, width of the line that they push out sorry uh, 0.2 um, and it slowly adds up and keeps building on top of itself over and over again until it finally gets the shape that you wanted. 
Uh, you can do pretty complex things. Um, 3D printing is taken over for some of the very small engines like uh, turbines and stuff now where you can't quite uh, get a tool in to machine it and you want it to be one solid piece, 3D printing is starting to take over for that now because you can get everything precise because it does it layer by layer and builds itself up. So um, if something is round, like if you had a ball and a shape on the inside, you can do it with a 3D printer, but you couldn't do it with a tool, like a, a mill or something like that. So it's so essentially how, 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 a hot glue gun on steroids. <laughs> so how, how precise... Um... Andrew, are the um, are the tolerances like? Can you get it with like within like a half a millimeter, or are they pretty tight tolerances? The average tolerance that you actually print with is zero point two millimeters. Um, you can step that down very easily to um, zero point one, um, or even lower, depending if you swap your nozzle out. Um, you can. I I don't know what the actual small size is, but if you you can do something in the, you know, uh, hundredth of a millimeter. Wow. So incredibly precise. Yeah. Yeah. That's, wow. But that's impressive. Obviously, though, the smaller, smaller the uh, nausea run, the longer it's going to take to do the same work. Yes. Right. Yes. But it's a lot nicer quality in the end. Huh. Yeah. So what are some of the main components that are required then? Like, what would I need to get set up and started? Uh, the main one is if you wanted to buy a kit, um, you can do that. Uh, you need a power supply. Uh, you need a heated extruder. You need a bunch of fans to cool everything down. You need um, three or four stepper motors and some rails, some uh, belt, and a, um, a surface that you could print on, which is generally heated uh, if you do the low level entry level stuff it doesn't have to be heated but uh, that stay away from that you you want something that's heated uh, and then you need the plastic and you need a little mini computer inside of it that can read the machine code that you send to it and tell all the motors what to do um, but basically not many people build theirs from scratch they'll buy a pre-built kit for you or by pre-built kilt and um, assemble it all and everything pretty much works right out of the box now compared to, you know, six or ten years ago. Wow, that's interesting. So it's basically like going in the Best Buy and grabbing a printer, only it prints 3D stuff. Exactly, yeah. Cool. Huh? And the good thing about it is if you bought a kit, you can expand it. So if it's too small for you, you can harvest most or almost all of the parts obviously you'd want a larger print bed um, but you can easily double or triple or quadruple the size of your printer with oh. the hardware that you already have and so oh neat so you can start small and then as you get more and more addicted to it and want to make bigger and bigger things you can just expand your your printer yeah, generally you end up buying multiple printers, as, as Steve will say. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I have three right now. So. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> All right, uh, Chris in the live chat's got a question. Uh, just asks, uh, do you need special software to design the work or open a file that uh, you've received from somebody? So if you just get into it, um, you only need one piece of software called a slicer. And some examples are Cura or Prusa Slicer, 
or uh, Slice 3D, those take the pre-made uh, 3D model and they cut it up into individual instructions for all the motors, essentially, and tells it, like, okay, you're going to go to this point, this coordinate, you're going to do this action, and you're going to move to this other coordinate, and it does that, and you get a massive, essentially, a text file. Um, it's small in um, storage size, but it is lengthy in uh, line count, and tells the printer step-by-step -step exactly what to do. Um, and those programs are very easy to use. Um, you can jump in it and you can learn it pretty much just by tinkering around with it. You're not going to really mess things up too bad uh, because generally they're pretty smart and they stop you from doing things that'll damage something most of the time. So, And there's millions of uh, tutorials on YouTube and even the people who uh, provide the files for free generally give you instructions on how to do everything to get the best quality print. So, Awesome. So you can... Like as you said, you can download files from somebody else, uh, like, and run it through your your system, or you can design things from scratch yourself, which is obviously going to be a little harder. But um, uh, there's all kinds of different software you can use to to design, and then um, and then you still need to use uh, it, your slicer software, like you mentioned, and run run it and set it up for your printer. Yeah, That's and you never want to take someone's pre-sliced file and put it on your own printer because generally they're going to have something different than you. Uh, even if they have the same model and everything as you, you can, if you make sure that they've got the same upgrades that you might've done, or if it's bone stock, it'll work. But generally it's very unadvised, uh, especially because they could be malicious and put something in there to destroy your printer. Uh, and again, there's, thousands upon thousands of lines so trying to catch something small like that it's like oh i'm just going to turn the heater up to 600 degrees and you'd, you'd never know that gotcha um speaking of the files how uh, how hard or hard or easy are they to find uh very easy the most notable website is called thingiverse everyone on there shares files freely um there's a bunch of other websites um that are shared around, but they're not as prevalent as Thingiverse or not as popular. Um, but this Thingiverse also just works with um, 3D models that wouldn't be printable. So sometimes you just got to watch out. But generally, people post the pictures of the end result that they made. Um, so you can tell if it's, oh, this is just like a, a 3D model for a video game or something like that, or if this is something you can actually print. Um, and then there are websites that you can pay for um, an object generally would people spend a lot of time to make something they'll put it up and you pay for it and also Etsy has a lot of stuff on there as well oh. one website I really like myself is is just a search engine it's called stlfinder.com and it actually will search other sites like Thingiverse including Thingiverse and all the other ones so you can do one search and it searches all the popular websites so it's oh. it really opens it up um, the, the type of 3D file you download is called, an, uh, the file format is STL. Okay. Uh, so, um, on average, how long would it take to print a project? Uh, I've got a little tool here for a reloading press that's going to just kick out an empty shell. This took about 45 minutes to do, and it's 20% full 
uh, filled in on the inside. Um, this a little bit more complex, um, but same 20% infill. This took um, four hours, but there was a bunch of support pieces because I printed it in this orientation. And you can't just have um, it pl plastic floating in the air. It has to be supported from the ground. I should so have gravity. Kept... So gravity still applies. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can. I'll be able to show an example later of what it looks like. Awesome. Um, so. Awesome. Uh, Todd in the live chat's got a question. Uh, how uh, how accessible is the plastic, or how easily accessible is it? Oh, very. Um, there's tons of 3D printing supply stores all over the place, and Amazon has a ton, and you can always import things from the States. Uh, they're all over the place. Generally, it's anywhere between 20 to $40 a roll, depending on what quality you want to get and how much, and you know, or if it's fancy color or if it's a fancy material, it could be higher. So it's, it's cheap and readily available. And for an average spool, it's about one kilo, which is quite a bit of plastic so there's a lot of models you can make with that Good to know. that kind of leads us into the next question is uh, what type of material can you print with is it just plastic uh there is almost limitless amount of different materials depending if you want to count all the different additives as their own um their own category whatever um let me see what There's probably eight or nine uh, major types. Um, the, the basic one is PLA, which is polylactic acid. Uh, it's somewhat biodegradable. Uh, eventually it will, but you know, you're talking a long time, decades or hundred years or something like that versus the other ones are just a straight plastic that don't biodegrade at all. Um, that one, it started off to be fairly weak, so you'd only use it for non-important parts or you know, if you just had a figurine or something that you wanted to make or some decorative piece. Uh, but then they started uh, blending it with other stronger materials and really honing down on that. And so you can actually get it to match uh, ABS plastic, which is another popular one, but is very hard to print with. And you need to have um, a heated enclosure around it to make sure that the part stays up to temperature because it's um, while it's being formed, it's very sensitive to temperature. Uh, and it also gives off pretty bad vapors so that you don't want to be in the room unless it's really well ventilated. Um, Pet G is another one. Uh, it's the same like PET plastic that they made like pop bottles out of. Um, it's got some flex to it. So if you're using something that you want a little bit more strength to, it'll bend before it breaks so you get a little bit of advanced notice um, and then you can print with TPU style, it's, it's almost like a rubber uh, that make like phone cases or anything shock absorber dampener or something like that it takes like, you know you can totally bend it and everything and it all goes back to its shape um, another one is nylon, that's uh, one that's been coming up a lot lately and starting to get into the more home gamer side of things and it is very strong but um, can be very difficult to print with because it's uh, hydroscopic so it absorbs all the moisture from the air and oh. when it does that and you run it through the printer they're extruding at it at, I think 250 degrees 
Celsius. So the water in it immediately boils and pops and can leave cavities in the plastic and just totally ruin your print and it won't work. So you have to keep it in a, either in a dehydrator or in a uh, sealed airtight box with like desiccant and stuff to keep the humidity down in there. Um, and then there's also blends that you can get with carbon fiber put into it for really strong prints. Um, you can get water soluble ones. So if you need to get rid of parts inside something that you can't get at with a tool to snap it off and pull out the other plastic with, you can dunk it in the water and then it'll all dissolve. Yeah. And then the part comes out nice and clean. Uh, and then the new fancy ones that can't quite do as a home gamer just yet without spending thousands and thousands of dollars is you can get metal infused ones. So, yeah. you know, sky's the limit sort of thing. Oh, that's wild. I didn't realize there were so many different types. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Kyle in the live chat has a question as well. You pretty much already answered it, but how tough is the plastic when it hardens? Uh, for example, could I make a backup trigger or will it break easily? The You have control of how strong you want it to be. Um, if you're just printing something decorative, you're not going to make whatever model you have completely solid. You'll make it hollow on the inside. Um, and you'll just have like a couple perimeters around it. Um, but if you wanted something really strong, you'll start making it more solid. I wouldn't suggest printing something like 100% solid because then you start getting issues with that. Um, but I... It all depends because depending on where the layers are put down, you want to examine your model to make sure that you're not uh, printing something in the wrong orientation. So if there's going to be force applied one way, it shears across the layer lines very easily. But if you rotate it 90 degrees, it is going up against like a, a lot of layers of plastic. So it'd be like sliding a knife through a ream of paper along it you can slide it right between the pages no problem but if you try and cut through the top all at once it won't go that's the gotcha. easiest way of explaining it so and then you have all the different types of materials that you want to print with but generally it's surprisingly strong awesome and of course we have the, in the inevitable gun question can you print pew pew components you can print almost a whole gun you can't do the bolt or the barrel or there's some other obviously springs and stuff like that but there is a project called the fgc9 uh the gc stands for gun control so you can stand guess what the f stands for um <laughs> where the whole gun uh, minus the bolt in the barrel as i said which generally uses um off the shelf glock components and you can just pop those in and make the print and you've got something that runs it's not going to be obviously as durable as a Glock or you know any other firearm unless you're buying a really cheap Norinco or something like that that's already <laughs> half already broken, broken out of the factory yeah. <laughs> but um, yes um, I've printed handguards um, grips um, fake suppressors that just like it goes over part of the barrel just to make it look because obviously we're stuck with like 18 and a half inch barrels so you want to make something look better than having a little like pencil sticking out in the front. Um, of course, before you start printing pew pew parts, check your local rules and regulations and all that good stuff. Yes, up here in Canada, you are allowed to make it as long as long as you have the license for the object that you're making. So if you were to make a shotgun and you had your regular PAL, 
a non-restricted pile as long as you follow the legal uh, requirements you're able to do it uh, if you were making a pistol or oh you can't make an air 50 now but you know you used to be able to uh, as long as you'd register it with the government and follow their classifications that they'd have and you had the uh, restricted license you were able to do it that's wild you can do that with a 3d printer yeah <laughs> that's cool Air 15 receivers were like the first thing yeah. that people were trying to build. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, question from Chris Can you export a design from AutoCAD in a format that the slicer can read and print? Yes. And as Steve said before, the format that you want to export it in is STL, which stands for stereolithic. And it's just, you can export it a million different file types for all the different programs that you're going to use it in. But STL, um, is used for both CNC machines and 3D printers because they are essentially the exact same thing, except you just change the tool head. Um, so it's it's super easy to do. I take the same uh, files that you download and run them through either the plasma table or the 3D printer. So there's a little bit of work you have to do, but it's not a big deal. You can run it through either. Right. Is there any hardening time with the print? Like, do you have to let it sit after it's completed, or is it, you know, pick it up and go as soon as it's done printing, or, or how does that work? If you are printing with the traditional plastics of a what they call an FDM printer, um, so the traditional thing when you think of a 3D printer, as soon as it's done, as long as you let it cool to take it off the build plate, um, it comes right off. Otherwise, it, it'll stick on there until it comes down to room temperature. Uh, but you can use it right away because um, it hardens within a couple seconds depending on what you're using. If you're using uh, liquid resin-based printers, I believe it's called SLA, um, you have to cure those in UV and you're dealing with a bunch of noxious chemicals and you want a lot of airflow and you have to watch out with those ones. So it's harder to do and messier, but you can get some beautiful looking prints with that because it's printed in a completely different way. Uh, but those ones you got to clean up, cure, let dry, and leave alone for a while before you can use it. Gotcha. All right, so being a complete newbie to this world, uh, wanting to get into it for a while, but um, what is the cost for a, like a good setup, something that's going to last a while and be expandable and, and versatile? Well, Steve, so you start off with what you bought and then how you started off. Sure, I've got um, I've got three printers. Two are the same. Uh, the large one is uh, the brand name is Creality, which you'll see it's it's pretty popular. Uh, it's a CR10 version, and it's it's quite large. Um, the build plate is 300 millimeters by 300 millimeters by 400 millimeters tall, so it's quite a big machine. Um, and it was, uh, I believe, around 550. Okay. Uh, it comes with a sample filament, so you have to buy a filament on top of that. And then uh, my my little guys are um, uh, $219, and they're 180 millimeters cubed, so 180 by 180 by 180. Hmm. And they're they're pretty small, all in one. Oh, there he is there. So, hmm. so portable too. Pretty much, yeah. This is yeah. this is it. Nothing to it. You, it runs on a memory card. You just put the memory card in the side over here. Oh. Yeah, so you do all the um, conversion and the slicing all on your computer or laptop, whatever, then you'll just either send the file either over the network if you've got a 
higher end one, you've got capabilities of that, or just with a small SD card, you plug it in and use the screen on it and select what you want. Uh, I started with an Ender 3. I picked it up for about $250 on Black Friday a couple years ago, and Canadian, and I'll show it here. It's quite a bit larger than what his is, and I've got some things added on um, to make it a little bit bigger. Uh, like I've, oh, I've put the plastic so it's on the top and it feeds in over into the side and it goes through the tube and stuff like that. Um, so that's it in action. Right now, sorry, I'm holding this by hand so it's a little shaky. Um, so this one is 230 by 230 by 200, I think, 200 height. Um, so it prints to about that tall before it, um, sorry, before it caps out um, on height and things. So it's a little bit better. Huh. So with that out of the box, you pretty much got everything you need. Um, you don't need have to buy anything extra unless you want to. Um, and surprisingly enough, you can once you get it running, you can 3D print some upgrades to that yourself. So, hmm. you know, I did cable management. Uh, as I said, I moved the spool to be up on the top instead of on the side, so it takes up less uh, width on, on the bench. Um, tool holders, extra different guides. I printed webcam mounts, lights, and a whole bunch of other stuff to add on there, just little, you know, easy-use items for it. Oh, so cool. Generally... Three hundred dollars, you're you're guaranteed to get something good as long as you go with something name brand. And mine is also a Creality. Uh, my model is the Ender Three. So, you know, anyone who knows a bit about three D printing, like, knows or started with an Ender Three, and it's been around for quite a while. And there's tons of different modifications and upgrades for it that you can do. So, the market changes so often too. There's always new printers coming out or upgraded with the same model and stuff. It's never-ending. Yeah, I think there's six upgrades from the factory from this. Everything tech-related has to have an upgrade, I think. Yeah. If not five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So if I'm hooking one of these things up, is my power bill uh, jumping skyrocket high, more so than it already has, or what kind of power consumption are we looking at? Steve, you might know better than me. I'd have to check the usage. Sure. I've... When I print something for somebody to work out the cost, I have to work in the, the cost of electricity too, right? So I've yep. got a little power meter. You plug into the wall and you plug any appliance into it. And so my uh, my big printer, it uses um, 200 watts just to warm up for about two minutes. And then it comes back down and it prints at about 90 watts as it's running. And then the little guys use uh, same thing, 200 watts to heat up and then uh, about 45 to 50 watts to run. So it's not much at all, a few light bulbs kind of thing. Nice. Uh, and of course, the question that everybody's itching to, to know the answer to is what kind of preparedness-related things can we print? Any uh, any ideas on the list or anything that you have printed for preparedness type of things? Uh, okay, let me get my list of stuff that I had to make in advance to because uh, <laughs> there's no way I was going to remember. Um so there's different hand tools that you can do, little wrenches or you know screwdrivers if you're dealing some, with something that doesn't have a lot of torque. Uh, scribes, center finders, uh, different parts so you can turn your Dremel into a table saw or a drill press, obviously a small one, with different mounts to orient it in certain directions. Uh, you can do gears. Gears is definitely 
probably a, a big one. Um, just trying to find the size of things that you need. Like you just make it yourself. Uh, you can do screws as long as they're low torque uh, and bolts as well. Uh, and mounting brackets, belt loops for different things, like uh, for your handheld radios if they didn't come with one, or thermocell mosquito repellents. And um, you do storage boxes, containers, or cases. Uh, like you can make your ammo boxes to hold your 50 or 100 rounds, or you know, 20, whatever size. You can make it whatever you want. Um, tool stands and holders. So if you got pegboards, you can customize the hell out of everything and you know get everything mounted on the wall. Uh, I've done beer koozies to keep your beer cold, uh, machine vices to help hold things, um, the handyman's friend or whatever with the different arms that you can pinch uh, different wiring. So if you're doing soldering, um, I've done covers for my respirators at work just because I only got the one set. So if they broke, I wanted to have a replacement. So just to keep the pre-filter in place, uh, I've done cookie cutters, you know, for birthday party, if you don't want to go and spend out some money and you just want something, you can, someone's already made it for you. Um, firearm accessories has already went to, um, an actual firearm minus the barrel and the bolt. Uh, magazine pouches and loaders. Um, I made a whole bullet feeder and case feeder for my reloading press. Uh, obviously, you had to buy a motor and some switches and wiring and set that sort of up and power supply. But the guts of it, the hopper, the uh, rotating plate, the feed system, even the die itself, I 3D printed that and go in so much, so much detail. Uh, and then if you want to do model figurines, so if you want to nerd out and play D&D, you can tabletop. And then you can also do the upgrades for the printer, as I said. So tons, tons of stuff. And even um, functional magazines, if you got a spring for it, they're not indestructible, but they'll last in a pinch. Wow. A couple of things I printed last for, you know, prepping related was uh, a canning lid holder for the kitchen, of course. So, um, <laughs> and then uh, this here is a five gallon, uh, five gallon uh, lid opener. Oh, I so, should print that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. You, you know, the, the plastic lids on the five gallon yeah. pellet, so you have to mm -hmm. bend them up. Yeah. This is, yep. it's all there's to her. So, oh, wow. Good. Yeah. Saves your fingers. Yeah, exactly. Right. I like it. Huh. And these for me were all files that someone else made and freely distributed. So a, a couple of things for the bullet feeder, I, I helped out a little bit on a project. So I only made a couple small parts, but you know, one guy freely spent his time to make a whole bullet feeder system and just thought, oh, I, I want to put this out there because you know I don't want to spend the $900 or something like that for it. So I'll do it for $100 wow. in materials. <laughs> Wild. That was going to be my next question is roughly what's the cost to, to print a project? Um. So as I showed before, this probably cost about ten cents of plastic. Huh. Uh, the roll, as I said, when you get it, you know, it's when it's full, it's you know, comes out to about here. So it's a, it's a kilo of an actual plastic. Um, on average, it's about thirty dollars Canadian for a roll of decent stuff. You know, you can find stuff for ten dollars a roll or something, but you might not want to try with that. Start. Start with something good and then find what you actually need and work your way down in quality or find sales, buy in bulk or, you know, whatever. Gotcha. So, 
but $25 to $30 is about the average range that you probably want to spend. So, How long will the roll last year, project-wise? Um, five days of solid printing. It's pretty like surprising, When I say actually. solid printing, like yeah. that your printer is running 24, 24 hours gotcha. for five days straight. That's probably yeah. about how long it lasts, depending on what your print settings are. Right. Yeah. Like you mentioned earlier there, if you print something 100% completely solid, of course, it's going to use a lot of filament, but everything, pretty much everything is, is hollow, but the infill is a grid inside, so it, it's really strong. Um, like a lot of infill for us is like 20 and 25%, so it's 75% air inside of this. Oh, and it does that grid pattern as it's printing? Yeah, it does it all automatically. Yeah, yeah I can oh. show it here. You're sharing your screen? Yeah. Here we go. So this is the slicer software. So I have, this is what the model looks like. I added a whole bunch of supports and stuff in here. But um, so this is that ramp that I built earlier. Um, I just manually put these supports in place, but generally the computer will do it all for you. Um, so this is what the model looked like. It's a, it's a ramp, but on the one end, it doesn't touch the bottom. And so when you go to slice this, you can take a look at the preview. So just by default, this says it's gonna take two and a half hours, but that's without any support. And uh, let's see if we can zoom in here a little bit. You see off to the side, that is just lines bouncing back and forth going through, and this is every here, there's a good section. If you look at here, that's how the infill process works. And you can change the shapes. So right now, mine is a bunch of pyramids. Um, and so as you raise or lower it, they move around and they're different spots. It's because obviously the plastic can't float in the air. It can do a little bit if you do what's called a bridge. So if you go from one point to another, um, you can go a couple centimeters without it drooping or falling off. Uh, but if you start from nowhere, it's going to fail immediately. So it's just uh, cool little things. That is neat. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that covers off pretty much all my questions. Do you have anything, Jeff? No, actually covered off uh, pretty well everything I had. All right, let's see. Ian's got Scott. a couple in there. There's a few, uh, Ian, I think we covered off Ian's here. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much uh, it. The, the next page. We've got um, some from Scott. Uh, it talks about his local library. It has a makerspace with lots of great uh, prototyping tools, including a 3D printer. Are printers fairly uniform in the format they use for software, or they tend to use proprietary formats by each printer company? Uh, generally, they all take STLs and G codes. So uh, the only thing that you have to do is when you take your 3D model and slice it, you have to know what printer you're going to be on because it needs to know the size of the printer and the settings of the printer. So if you have something that is uh, 18 centimeters cubed build space and you set up a file that is 20 centimeters, it's, it's not going to work. It's, it's going to fail right away, but the printer's not going to be smart enough to know that it's not going to work until it, you know, and stops yeah. and hits the edge or, or whatever. So, but your slicer software 
will know that you're trying to print on something that's the wrong size and it'll give you the different errors and how to fix it and gotcha stuff like that so uh, but generally, if you go to a makerspace or something like that, they've got everything set up for you. So if you just find the 3D model of what you want to print, um, and generally you can always ask them for help, uh, or they can do it for you. Say, I have this. This is what the purpose is going to be. You know, I need it to be strong, or it's just decorative, so it can be weak, and they'll charge you appropriately for it or uh, help you set it up. So it's it's a great community. Nice. All right, so two questions. I got one for uh, from from Scott, and I've got one from Alan. So the question for Scott is, can I print a wood gasifier? I don't know <laughs> enough about the parts about it. Um, <laughs> if, if if it all gets hot, no. If like then the answer is no. I've heard some of the temperatures that those <laughs> things run at. Generally, no. There might be and a couple I'm, things like maybe your mounting brackets or something like that, but. Fair enough. And I'm sure that Alan would follow up after that question with, can I print a CO detector? CO detector, the shell. You can print that. Obviously, you can't do the circuit boards and stuff like that. Fair enough. And is there any concern about carbon monoxide while printing? You're welcome, Alan. Well, with two <laughs> materials such as ABS and nylon, uh, they do emit a gas that is causes headaches, drowsiness, and fatigue. So it's like carbon monoxide, but it's uh, styrene, which is known carcinogen. So you got to stay away from that. And as well, if you're printing exotic uh, materials, such as the ones with carbon fiber or metal, or uh, you can even get ones with wood infill in it. So you can actually yep. sand it and have it look like a wooden object. Um, you want to stay away from that because those particles, when they are getting melted down, start flying around in the air and you don't want to breathe that stuff in. So if you're going to be around it, wear the proper masks um, and have good ventilation. But generally, if you're gotcha. doing uh, PLA plastic like I'm doing, like I'm, I'm two feet away from my printer, it's fine. Right. You know, I got a big so. space, so I'm not worried about it. But if I was in like a, a literal closet with it, I wouldn't want to because it does stink a little. So good to know. Uh, Kyle in live chat here says it was 46 minutes. Uh, Forty-six minutes in, I was way off on the uh, wood gasifier and carbon monoxide. I, I saw you baiting us earlier, Kyle. That's why I waited. <laughs> A note about um, temperatures of the of what the final product can handle. Like you, yeah. you make sure you have to pick the right material to print with. If it's going to be like in a hot environment or whatever, like PLA won't handle being in a car interior in the in the sum, summer sun, for example. It'll get it'll go soft first off, and then. Uh, lose all its strength so so for that you'd use abs or asa for example oh good to know so you need to find what you're going to print what its usage is going to be and then what sort of lifespan you want it to be and then choose your material from that uh, then you have to balance the cost of it how easy it is to print and then all the features you want of it those are the three things that you got to pick from so if you want something that'll last forever and is extremely strong well it's going to be expensive if you want something that you don't care how long it lasts, okay, you can cheap it on that. It could be weak, okay, it's going to be cheap. So it's gotcha. that triangle that you got to balance. Good to know. If you guys have anything else to uh, to get out to the listeners in regards to three D printing or, or anything that we missed, question wise? 
Well, there's one question that I saw in there. Is there a JB Weld equivalent? Uh, there sort of is. There's something called, I believe it's a Therma pen, and it's essentially a 3D printer in the size of a big pen, and it will extrude just the tiny little bits of filament at a time. You know, it's great for kids to play around with sort of thing. You know, supervised so they don't burn the finger or something like that. Or if you just need to make small uh, adjustments to stuff, you know, because you can... If you don't care about the strength too much, you can weld things back together with that. If you heat up the other plastics, depending on what you're using, and then you can use that as a sort of... you got to be really quick, though. Um, gotcha. But if you put any force on it, it's probably going to break. But if it's a decorative model that accidentally broke, you could probably fix it. Good to know. Uh, any final thoughts, Steve? No, that's, that's about all. It covers... Uh, um, that covers pretty much everything. Um, I think one great part about it is it is pretty cheap, so you can have a print failure and just try again and tweak it and learn and print it six times if you have to. Nice. Um, and depending on what your failure is, like if you have a power outage, you can restart. Sometimes you might get some artifacts from it. You, you're going to have to do some math to figure out exactly where the printer stopped. Mm -hmm and then restart from that same point again so it doesn't try and you know, bust through and start at the beginning of the model that's already there and smash your print to bits. Uh, but there is some recovery that you can do to parts like that. Uh, generally, the biggest one is that's going to cause that is either power outages or you ran out of plastic. <laughs> the amount of times that that's happened that you're not <laughs> paying attention to, um, it, it, it happens. So they do make sensors to know uh, before it runs out of filament that, like, you know, you, you put it way at the end of the chain, and when it runs out before the printer does, it senses you and it stops the print and lets you know, okay, you got to add more and change it out. Um, you can change plastics on the fly uh, as long as you're going pretty much the same material or close enough to. Uh, you can change colors mid print. So if you wanted to start with something black and move to red or whatever other color you want, you can. Um, and you can even customize it so you can get multiple extruders so you can print two colors at the exact same time and do it that way so you know you can even get ones that mix two different colors together at the same time it's the, because it's open source and the components are simplistic it's very easy to modify to however you want um, but if you're setting something up that's going to take a day or more i suggest getting a battery backup at least long enough to sort of be able to stop it nicely instead of it just shuts off on its own. Uh, so you can find out where it is until it stops at this certain spot. Um, generally, that's the most errors that you're going to get that are going to suck because you can be, you know, three days into a four-day print, the power goes out, and you're like, oh, let's <laughs> start all over again. This piece is garbage now or uh, whatever. But uh, That yeah. would suck. But it's, it's easy to recover from a lot of things. And, you know, because it's cheap, you just redo it. It's just the time aspect of things because it, it can take quite a while. As I said, I've personally had things printing for three, three and a half days in one go. Like the bullet feeders are quite large. Wow. Um, so as you gain more experience with the, the slicer program specifically, you can, uh, you know, get the times shortened down, you know, fine tune it. And yeah, as you find go the along, shortcuts. Yeah, as you go along, you'll get quicker at it. Yeah. 
So awesome. Uh, question in the live chat that uh, probably going to heat a few people up. Uh, can you print a COVID passport? You can print a QR code. You can physically print oh, one and your phone can scan it. So that's as close to one as you can get. Or you can do like a plaque sort of thing. <laughs> Obviously, you can't print paper. Like you can print something paper thin, but if you try and put text on that, it's not going to look good at all. No. But we'll leave it at that. You can print a QR code. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, with that, maybe we'll move into the podcast challenge. Jeff, you want to take care sure. of that? So, uh, the podcast challenge for today is find some print files that interest you before they're banned, erased, C10, etc. Uh, even if you can't afford a setup, maybe start a file collection to work without internet access. Nice. Yeah, definitely a big thing. The amount of projects that get pulled either because the curator doesn't want to have it up there anymore or, you know, unfortunately with copyright strikes or something like that or um, there's a big case in the States where they wanted to get rid of ghost guns and stuff like that and they try to pull a whole bunch of files off and try to make it illegal for you to possess the files even though you don't have a printer and so there's been a whole bunch of stuff so, you know, if it's legal now and it's available now, get it while you can. All right. Uh, upcoming events. So uh, mapleseedrifleman.com slash events. Check it out. Go and attend a uh, maple seed event if you can. Always a good spot to start learning how to shoot and shoot properly. Uh, deal of the week. Uh, so if you're looking for 25 liter gas cans, uh, Princess Auto has them on sale. No such thing as enough or too many gas cans. Just ask Jeff and the campfire. <laughs> um, so there's another question here in the live chat, if I can find it. Uh, just before we sign off, uh, did Jeff say he finished his Faraday cage and are you guys still taking emails in regards to them? Uh, I finished mine and used copper tape to have a better connection. So absolutely, we're still accepting emails. Um, throughout the entire time we're doing this podcast. If you've done done a project or something preparedness related and you want to talk to us about it, yeah, there's no timeline on submitting things. So uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and I'll let you comment, Jeff, on your current uh, your current build. Yeah, so I, I haven't uh, quite finished it yet. Um, I'm, I'm close. I'm glad you finished yours. That's great. The issue that I've got with using the copper tape is I want to be able to open and close it uh, every so often, it's going to have my generator in it, so I'm going to have to, you know, recycle the fuel and 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 that kind of stuff. So I want to be able to open it and close it without having to cut into the tape and retape it every time I open and close it. Um, so I'm I'm looking at a couple different different options. Um, the way the the top on this box closes, like I say, there's barely enough room to stick a knife in in the edge there. So whether I I put a couple of layers of two-sided tape in there or something else. I'm looking at a couple of different options. So uh, tape's a great idea, just not for what I'm looking for at this point. All right. Well, anybody on the panel have any shout outs? Silence, cricket. Shout out to OG Andrew for helping me get my freezer <laughs> downstairs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Where the moving company wouldn't do it. So thank you. Yeah. Fair enough. 
All right, we'll move into some email and iTunes reviews. Uh, so we got one email here from uh, Aaron and Oren. Uh, it says, uh, we're on 20 acres that is mostly forest. Uh, we have propane for heat, water, stove, electricity, uh, septic tank, and a well. Uh, we're looking at which hand pump to get so water is consistent. Uh, so my question is about power. A, a generator is about $12,000 to run our whole house. A portable generator for limited use is more reasonable. Uh, we don't have enough south roof exposure for a full solar setup. Uh, so I'm being mindful to be shelf stable as well as stock up, hence the freeze dryer and dehydrator, which they mentioned in previous emails that they've acquired. Um, have a wood stove for heat and can cook on barbecue and fire. My hesitancy is EMP and the generator. Do you think it's worthwhile gamble or can we uh, make a Faraday cage, uh, like a full-size Faraday cage for the generator? So that's a convenient question considering Jeff's doing just that. Yeah, my, mine isn't a full-size generator. It is a, um, I'll put the plug out for them. It's a Champion 3000 watt inverter. Um, and the uh, the box I've gotten that's that's part of the other thing I'm looking at. It's substantially large. It's called a job box, basically is what they call them, uh, metal box. So I'm looking at making it kind of an, a whole electrical backup. So I'm going to have my generator in there, but I'm also going to have um, hopefully some fold up solar panels, a charge controller, an inverter. Um, I don't need to worry about the batteries. They're EMP proof but um just to have that kind of stuff in there for the uh the oh shit moment but um yeah that's um i i mean if you're if you're worried about an emp in the generator they it'll it'll kill it if you don't have it in a in a faraday box so um i mean i can i can send somebody a picture i mean it's for me it's a fairly large metal box I don't have the exact dimensions in front of me, but uh, I pay $250 for it. And it's it's gotta be three and a half, four feet long. It's probably two and a half feet high, two and a half feet wide. Um, like I say, and it's a full metal, fully welded um, box. They call them job boxes if anybody wants to do a Google search on them. And that's, that's what I'm working on. All right. Anybody else on the panel have any uh, anything to add for that uh, the question? Or? Yeah. All right. I'll just mention that's kind of why we have multiple plans for multiple situations, right? So uh, is it worth the gamble? I'd say yes, because the chances of the power going out is more likely than an EMP. Saying that, an EMP could hit us tomorrow, right? It's It's one of those balance things. So... I'd say having a generator and having that source of power for a situation where the power's out that's not EMP related, why not have that? And then uh, as you, you start your plans a little bit more, then you can build around protecting those items from EMP if that's what you're worried about. But yeah, I would say absolutely worth the gamble to, to get a generator or have it set up and have it be able to run your house because I personally think you're going to be dealing with a power outage from some other type of natural disaster um, probably more often than you would be an EMP, but like I said, who knows? We could wake up tomorrow morning and one could hit, right? So it's just one of those, it certainly is a gamble, but I think it's it's a worthwhile gamble. Yeah, I'd grab the generator for sure, then yeah. work on setting a cage around it if you can in the future. 
Right. We've got another email from uh, KP and says, uh, I just found you guys and I'm encouraged by your podcast. I live in Alaska, but travel to the States many times a year and drive through Canada once or twice a summer. Great job. Keep it up. Thanks, KP. Appreciate that. It's always nice to hear that uh, we're helping people out and we're not just uh, hanging out here Sunday evenings, chatting amongst ourselves and nobody else listening. So it's nice to, nice to get that feedback. Appreciate it. Uh, before I sign it off, anybody on the panel have any last uh, last comments or things you want to throw out there? Perfect. Well, with that, I will bring episode 129 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out, submit a review. It does help other people find us. And we record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. All right. And where can everybody find you, Jeff? Uh, just that feedback at uh, prepperpodcast.ca for myself. Perfect. And Steve, is uh, feedback prepperpodcast.ca okay for you, or do you have an email address you'd like to put out there? No, that's good. All right. Perfect. And uh, better Andrew. BetterAndrew.biz, or if you want to join uh, the other CPP's Discord group, send an email to us, and we'll give it in, give you the invite link. I'm on there all the time. I'm the one who set it up, so I have to be. <laughs> got, <laughs> That's gotta, my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta have the .biz. Yeah, very, very important. Gotta have the .biz. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You can find me on the live chat at rapidsurvival.com. You can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, so thanks for joining us this evening. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. Mm-hmm.